So today continuing on. More food for thought before we practice together. A lot of the Buddhist teaching is just saying the same thing in different words or using different terms. So he talks about that which is of most help. But then we have many things that are of most help. So actually when you look at it, it's, it's talking about the same thing but from, from a different point of view. So he says at first, he says, uh, I can't think of anything or I don't know of anything. Buddha said, I know, I know of no, no, no Dhamma that causes unwholesomeness to arise more than negligence. And that which is wholesome to fade away. And he says, I know of nothing that is as uh, potent in giving rise to wholesomeness and driving away unwholesomeness as vigilance. And then he goes on to talk about other dhammas that are of equal value. So in terms of one being useful and one being one being helpful and one being a hindrance. And then he says kosajang, which means uh, indolence, laziness, or lounging around finding, look, uh, wasting time and the opposite is putting out effort Viryarambha Viryarambha Viryarambho putting out effort and so on so saying the same thing using different words we, we need so the point being that in regards to wholesomeness there are certain dhammas that are giving, going to cultivate wholesomeness and do away with unwholesomeness in the mind we have vigilance versus negligence we have or negligence versus vigilance we have idleness, laziness versus effort. And then we have maha ichata, having many desires, many wants, wanting this and wanting that, versus having few desires, having few ambitions.
and then we have discontent and contentment. attention and unwise attention yoni somana sikara unwise contemplation or, or thought and wise thought wise contemplation and we have clear awareness full awareness and lack of lack of full awareness and full awareness so we have quite a few things here the buddha says are useful and the final one is having evil friends and having good friends so we can look at all each of these in turn and see that actually it's um, just many many ways of explaining our practice and these are all things that are very useful for us to know and understand so the first one we've talked about a lot in the Dhammapada videos we've been talking about uh, vigilance but I don't think I've mentioned to you what are the what is the Buddha's teaching on vigilance. Basically, I mentioned already that it means in one place the Buddha says it means to have mindfulness all the time, to never be without mindfulness. So there's this this story I don't know if I told you when I was teaching in Thailand once, and uh, all of the foreign meditators were in, had been instructed to practice a certain number of hours a day. So today six hours, tomorrow eight hours, and so on. And then they came to me and asked me how many hours a day they had to practice, and I said, today you have to practice 18 hours. And his eyes looked like they were going to pop out of his head, because he was very, quite quite stressed out about having to even take eight hours, practice eight hours a day. So now he was trying to do the math and think, how, how can I get out of this one? And then I explained to him what I meant. When you wake up first thing in the morning, you have to be mindful. Lying there, say to yourself, lying, lying, sit up, sitting, sitting. You can watch the rising and falling of the stomach and then standing, standing. When you go to the washroom, when you brush your teeth, when you eat your food, when you shower, when you use the toilet and so on, be mindful of all of these things. It doesn't matter how, I, I don't, I'm not concerned about how many hours of formal practice you do, but you're not to talk with the other meditators, you're not to uh, get involved in reading or uh, idle pursuits or so on. You have to practice for 18 hours a day. When you sleep, that's your break. You're not, you don't have to be mindful. But the point is you can do anything. You, know, you can have tea, you can... I was explaining to him but and it, it really actually calmed him down and, and made him less stressed than before I had given him this arduous task because the, the point is simply to be mindful it's not to do this or do that to have to walk for so many hours or sit for so many hours you can live your natural life um, but, do it, but do it mindfully so this is the meaning of appamada to live your life mindfully whenever you do something to do it mindfully, when you're walking, to walk mindfully, when you're eating, to eat mindfully, 
to be aware of it all. So it's actually quite different. It's nothing like how you normally live your life. But to the outside observer, it looks quite normal. When you're eating your food, scooping, raising, you're aware of all of these. When your teeth are chewing, you're aware of the tension in the jaw and so on. When you swallow, you're aware of the feeling in the throat, swallowing. And you're, you're, you make a note of everything as it occurs, you're seeing it, this is this, this is this, being aware of it just as it is, and reminding yourself of it. The opposite is upam, is, is no, the opposite is pamada. When a person spends all their time in idle pursuits and getting caught up in things that are unrelated to uh, the goal and have no purpose, watching television or sitting around chatting. In Wat Lampung, they would sit around and spend. So as they had the eight hours they had to do, and then there's ten hours that they're awake, but they don't have to do anything. And so they thought they could just sit around and talk with each other and uh, go to the store and so on. And all these things that they would do. What lampung's in the city, so they would they would get quite distracted and cause a lot of problems for the other monks. So when we put them on this routine, it changed the whole atmosphere. And then they were quiet and separate and contemplating their own uh, their own minds and their own behavior, their own actions at every moment. During a meditation course, it's quite necessary. Actually, for all of us, this is something we have to strive to do, even living in our daily life. When we go back home and so on, trying to be as mindful as possible. That's basically what that one means. It's the, it's the core of the Buddha's teaching, is to be this way, to, to train in this way, because it's what leads us to enlightenment, leads us to understand ourselves. And then we have laziness and effort. And we have to be careful to understand what we mean by effort here. When the Buddha says, or talks about effort, he doesn't mean just pushing yourself in what you, whatever you're doing, whatever you ha work you have to do to work hard at it. That's not really what he means. He means putting out effort to be mindful. And Because when we look at the Buddha's meaning of, of effort, the meaning of effort is four things. The unwholesomeness in your mind, you work to get rid of it. When it, when, when it comes up, you work, you do the work that's necessary to remove it from the mind, to see it clearly and to see the situation clearly so you don't have aversion or attachment in regards to the experience and you don't have any delusion. To work hard to keep the bad states out. So when there is, is no greed or anger, but you know that something is coming up that will lead to it, you're careful to be mindful of it again and again and again. A happy feeling comes up, you're careful to be mindful of it as happy, happy. You work hard at staying with the object, knowing that at any moment unwholesomeness could arise if you're not mindful. And this, this takes quite a bit of effort. This takes an uh, exceptional amount of effort to continue throughout the day, to keep it away. And then the development, the, the, the effort is the, the other two are the development of wholesomeness that hasn't arisen. So that this practice, when you're no, not good at it yet, it's hard to keep the defilements away and the mind keeps going back. And so the work to keep it, to keep it going, this is just the opposite from this once you have attained it. So once you get good at the practice to stay on track. It's very easy once you get good at the practice to become negative and think, eh, I'm good at this already and you slack off. It's also easy to become so intensely 
uh, focused on the practice or eager to reach the goal that you overexert yourself. Both of these are two extremes that we have to guard against. When your practice is good, you also have to, to make your practice good. And you have to have the effort to keep yourself on track. So what is really meant here is the effort to stay mindful, the effort to keep your mind uh, straight and to straighten the mind. Just like something that is bent, you have to work hard to straighten it, and then you have to work hard to keep it straight. We have many wishes and few wishes. So if you have many wishes, uh, here I think there's not such an opportunity to have many wishes, but you can still be thinking a lot about what you want to do when you go home, or uh, even what you want to do here, wanting to be a... Uh, to, to, uh, become a teacher or so on, wanting to build a meditation center, all of these things can get in the way when you have many wishes. This is something very important to keep in mind that we shouldn't be wanting to have this or wanting to have that. And when you, you're thinking about when you go home, you're going to do this and do that, they very much get in the way of your practice. They get, away, get in the way of your contentment, which is the next one. When a person has many wishes, as the Buddha said, it leads to unwholesomeness and it leads the wholesomeness to disappear because you want this and you can never be satisfied. You get what you want and you want more in, in anything, not just things like food and, and, and material, but can be in, in becoming this and becoming that or in removing this and removing that. You'll never be satisfied as long as your happiness depends on the situation that you're in. And even here we can have many, many opportunities for the arising of desires. Maybe the food is good or maybe the food is not good. And so you're thinking, oh, I wish I had this kind of food or that kind of food. Maybe you're thinking about home where you have a nice bed or you have an air conditioner or you have this or you have that. All of these things are our desires that we have to be careful about and work hard to give up. Contentment and discontent goes very much along with that. It, it's really another way of saying having few desires. But contentment is a, a uh, particularly special um, mind state. It means being content with whatever comes. When, when there is unpleasantness, to be content with that. When there is pleasantness, to be content with, with as much comes. It means to be level-headed uh, or are balanced in the mind, unperturbed by good things or bad things. It's really the same as, it's another way of talking about wants and needs. But uh, the Buddha said this is the greatest gain because when you have contentment, you don't want for anything. And so I think we have to be content there because I've lost the light. I uh, just want to talk about, I think there was there's a couple more in there, but the last one was uh, having good friends and having evil friends. So we can consider that the, the community here is a good friend for us, that, that the other people here are a good support for us. I consider that all of you are a good support for my own life uh, in the sense that you provide a community for me. All of us, I think for sure, we can appreciate having the community. If you try to do this at home, I've tried to practice even this that we do at night, once in the morning, 
night to try to get up at 4.30 in the morning or 4 in the morning to be able to practice together at 4.30. If you try to do it alone, you find that it's quite difficult. You have this um, incredible push that comes from having other people around who are likewise dedicated to the development of, of uh, mindfulness and insight, being around and, and uh, getting to know each other. I always used to tell people in Thailand is that uh, the best meditator is someone who doesn't even know the names of the other meditators. If you can come, if you can arrive and leave the center without knowing the names of the other meditators, I consider you to be an exceptional meditator. So I, 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 think we, I, I think it's hard to find such a meditator. So if, uh, if you haven't fulfilled that one, you can see where it's going. The point about having good friends is not that we, we spend time together. The Buddha was very critical of this. So at the same time he would say, uh, have good friends. And it's very important to have good friends. And then he would say, don't, don't spend time in other people's company. Right? Don't, don't um, spend time in society or socializing. And so we might wonder, well, what's the contradiction here? Why, why say one thing and then the other? Why, why tell us to have friends and then not even... Uh, not even know their names, for example. I think you can get the idea where I'm going, is that the best friend is an example to us. The best friend is someone who let, gives us the opportunity, gives us the time and the, the opportunity and the place, you know, all of the work that has gone into this place and making it a, um, as fairly suitable or minimally suitable place for us to practice meditation. I consider that this is because of the friendship and the kindness of the people who have supported us and, and, and that we give as, as a sign of our friendship to you. You don't even have to know my name. You come here and you see there's the meditation uh, practice and meet with me once a day and I'll give you the new exercise. Apart from that, you consider that I've been, been a friend to you and by giving you the teaching and giving you the place and, and, and so on. And the other people here, we consider them to be friends in that they don't bother us. If they were a mitcha, a papa, papa mita, evil friends, they would waste all our time in idle gossip and, and dragging us away to, to do this or do that and coming up and uh, disturbing us all the time. So we consider that we have very good friends here, that they give us the opportunity and the... Um, space, the space and the time. So I'm not a good friend to you because I, I come and knock on your door every day and say, hey, how are you going? Want to talk or want to go for coffee or something? You can consider me a good friend and all of the people here good friends in that we, we've given you your space. We've done something that most people won't do and that is leave you alone and, and give you the time and the space and, and the teaching and to uh, to learn more about yourself and to come to understand how your mind works and to become free from akusula dhamma, unwholesome states of mind, developing wholesome dhamma, akusula dhamma, the wholesome states of mind, which is, uh, the Buddha makes it clear that this is the important thing. He says, these are for the purpose of wholesomeness and for giving up unwholesomeness. So what he's saying there is that this is what we should be aiming for. We need these things because they lead us to develop wholesomeness. Wholesomeness is, according to the Buddha, the goal 
the development of wholesome mind states, or is, is the path. Our development hinges on developing wholesome mind states and discarding unwholesome mind states, coming to see through the delusion that leads to the wholesome mind, mind state. So, that's the pep talk for tonight. Now we'll continue to try to do mindful prostration, walking and sitting.